0: So I'm here this, this morning, I guess, uh, to talk about Thomas on the Family. Um, my talk this morning is going to have four basic parts. I don't have a handout for you, but just to give you a general geography of, the, of what I'm going to be doing, uh, I'm going to start with a somewhat long introduction. Uh, I'm then going to talk a bit about charity and love of neighbor, generally, Um, I'm then going to speak more briefly about nature and then I'm going to finish with some specific remarks on family obligations. Um, If you want to know, I'll keep mentioning this as I go, but the two portions of the Summa I have in mind especially to rely upon. Are number one uh, the treatment of the precepts of charity? That's uh, uh, the forty-fourth question of the Secunda Secundi, and then the question on the order of charity, which was the original title of the conference and what I what I what I had planned to. I, I actually in my talk somewhere it says that the uh, I changed this, I guess, but uh, j- just now. But I noticed that I still thought the title was on the order of charity when I when I wrote this. So I thought I was supposed to especially talk about that. So my job today is to give you two talks, right? Uh, first talk is on family in the order of charity, and then later on friendship. Um, you could, I think if you like, say that those talks fit basically under one heading, what it means in the order of charity to love our neighbor. Professor Osborne this morning mentioned uh, uh, that his, his talks aren't going to be especially about love of individual human beings, right? Uh, my talks both will, somehow, be about love of individual human beings. Um, uh, uh, first, our family, um, and then our friends. Uh, I'm going to begin this talk by saying a bit about charity in general, right, um, and then over the course of these two talks, I'm going to try to say a little just about what it means to love other human beings, right, what, what, and, and what kinds of obligations are entailed in that. Um, now, before coming to that, I'm going to do something I don't usually do, which is begin with a touch of biography, Thomas's biography, I mean. Um, the truth is that when I treat thinkers, uh, those of you who have had my classes will know this, I am loath ever to introduce any biographical details, right? Um, I think it's always a danger that we'll start to, what is it, C.S. Lewis calls it the biographical fallacy, right? I mean, maybe I'm, I'm not remembering exactly how he puts it, but I've always been loath even to mention how thinkers lived because it seemed to me that it was too easy to explain away their thoughts in terms of their life story, right? And to fail to see that their minds grappling with fundamental questions. Um, that said, in this case, I think a little bit of biography is appropriate, um, not to try to explain away Thomas's thoughts, but as an example of it, an example of the relations he had with his own family. Um, and I can add that this introduction, this opening was suggested to me uh, by my great friend, Sister Lucia Marie Seemering, uh, who's, a, who's a Dominican in this order and is somehow associated with the Dominican House of Studies. So Thomas, as I suppose you know, Maybe you all know this, uh, but, but I'll, if, even if you know it, it's, it's fine to repeat. Thomas, I suppose you all know, was born, uh, uh, when he was born, lived at his uh, family castle at Roccasecca, right, uh, which is between Rome and Naples. His parents, he was the youngest son, his parents had plans for him to become a monk at the Benedictine Mon- Monastery in Mon- at Monte Cassino, um, and at least so the biographers of Thomas conclude, eventually to become its abbot. Thomas had other designs when he discovered at a very young age that he wished to become a Dominican. Uh, that led to fierce resistance from his family. He took up residence at the friary in Naples, um, but, uh, and the details on this are not entirely clear to me based on what I've read, but this is the best I can see, um, when his family attempted to have him seized from the friary, or at least when his superiors were pretty sure that they eventually would uh, they sent him away. He was eventually brought back to his family castle where he lived for a year, continuing his studies, reading the entire bible um, and, and and continuing to study uh, uh, theology. There is one famous incident that occurred during this period uh, uh, that, that most uh, biographers place during thomas's flight from the friary in um yeah, uh, in Naples. Uh, I've read different accounts of it. Uh, I suppose Chesterton's is the most fun, although I've I've seen more technical ones elsewhere. Um, and the truth is that I'm not up to exactly what the current state of scholarship suggests. Uh, but the most well-known part of that story um, is that Thomas's brothers, as part of their attempt to dissuade him from his ambition to become a Dominican, locked him in a room and sent a prostitute to try to seduce him. Uh, This would have been when Thomas was about 19 years old. According to the legend, uh, Thomas drove her away brandishing an iron from the fire. Uh, (laughs) uh, This is, I've always thought that was a nice story about Thomas reflected, uh, uh, I don't know, I just always remembered it. Anyway. Thomas, therefore, as a young man, was somewhat at odds uh, 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 with his family, right? Believed that his duties to God trumped them somehow. Um, nevertheless, they eventually gave up their ambitions and gave in to Thomas's wishes. Uh, and as Jean-Pierre Torrel goes out of his way to point out, Thomas's conflict with his family at a young age did not spoil completely his relationship with them. With them. He continues to be a doting brother, especially toward his sisters, with whom he was quite close, uh, and a dutiful son, ensuring that his parents would be financially secure in his old age. Um, again, I mention this not because I think it reveals the sources of Thomas's thought, but because it's somehow an example of them. Duties of God trumping all other duties, but duties to family, the duties that exist by nature, still having their own. Important and weighty place. Okay, um, so let me just sketch what I want to do now. Uh, I'm going to begin by speaking about the place that love of neighbor has in Thomas's understanding of charity as a whole, and then discuss the role of the family within that more specifically. Um, now, as Father Ephraim has already said, and, and, and Professor Osborne, uh, 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 for Thomas, the essence and core of charity is love of God, friendship with God, he even calls it, as I'll talk about this afternoon. Um, as he puts it, when he's explaining charity as a single virtue, here I'm quoting from the Summa, this is, a, uh, this is the Secunda Secundae, question 23, article five in the responsio. Uh, its end is one, namely the goodness of God, and the communication uh, uh, or fellowship, it's sometimes translated, uh, communicatio um, of eternal happiness. Charity, therefore, is directed toward the ultimate human end, uh, which is the supernatural end that belongs to human beings. The perfect and eternal happiness that is possible only through God Thus, Thomas also described, as we've already spoken about, charity as an infused virtue, not a moral virtue. It exists in us through divine grace and not by habituation alone. What does this entail? What does this friendship with God, this love of God entail um, with respect to our relations to other human beings? Well, in the first place, it means that those other loves are viewed by charity in light of that more fundamental love. Um, To borrow Thomas's language from another point, charity informs all the other virtues. Or as he elsewhere puts it, charity enjoins all of us to be concerned with our fellow human beings, but to be concerned with them under the aspect of love of God. That is, and that's a, a question uh, uh, 25, Article 1 that, that I'm quoting there. Um, that is, we love in others, not their good in just any respect, but in particular that they may, quote, be in God. Right. Now, as I've already said, charity is, as, insofar as it's concerned with other human beings, the command that goes with charity is to love one's neighbor. Right? Um, but what is the character of that obligation to one's neighbor? In order to explain that, I want to turn to the section on the precepts of charity. Um, at the end of the treatment of charity, have you, have, did you guys all read the whole treatment of charity for this or not? No. Okay, that's fine. No, I can. I, it's okay. I can. I, I, I can lay out some of this, right? Um, so I guess you all know. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know what you know. um, Uh, uh, But if you don't know, now you will know that in the Secunda Secundae, the treatment of every one of the seven virtues, both the theological and the cardinal, Thomas includes uh, a discussion of the precepts that belong to that virtue, that is, the laws that govern that virtue. Those are, I think, exclusively uh, rules that are drawn from sacred scripture that command the actions and command the, the possession of all of these different virtues. Um, uh, Yeah, in fact, I think in every case, uh, uh, Thomas tries to show that there are divine precepts associated with the particular virtues, and that happens with all all seven of them. The precept of charity is the famous, the one he identifies as the precept of charity, is the famous twofold statement from Matthew uh, chapter 22, um, which I'm going to read out to remind you of it, but this will be something that's plenty familiar to all of you. Uh, teacher, uh, uh, the, the apostle asks, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love. Wait, that's not a, an apostle, right? That's a, that's a Pharisee, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I mixed him up. Yeah, rich kid. What? Scholar of the law. Scholar of the law, good. Um, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, that first and most important precept, and the one on which the other depends according to this, is that one should love God with all one's heart and soul and might. The second part of that commandment, that one should love one's neighbor as oneself, is according to Thomas, derived from the first commandment as an application of it, right? He even raises the question of whether it was necessary to add that second part, right? That you should love your neighbor as yourself um, and he concludes that it was appropriate, even though it was really contained in that first pro- precept, uh, quote, on account of those who have less capacity, as he says. Uh, the English Dominicans translate that as less intelligence. I think that's probably right, right? I've always, I, I find that line kind of funny, by the way, right? Uh, 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 you don't really need that second precept if you have any idea what you're talking about, (laughs) but for the the ones who aren't smart enough to figure out that love of God also entails love of neighbor, you just put it in there so they don't miss it or forget. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, that that makes it, I think, particularly clear uh, how the love of neighbor is contained in the essence of charity, right? As an application of it, or as an instance of the love of God. And our neighbors are, again, always viewed under the aspect, as he puts it, uh, of uh, of their their capacity to be in God and to be loved by God. Um, Now, in trying to exposit the order of charity, the question becomes to whom this reference to our neighbor refers. More simply, um, who is our neighbor, right? Uh, Thomas actually says that it's in that formulation that the order of charity is implied, right? Insofar as that command is given to love one's neighbor, one's proximus in Latin, right? That entails, that has as as its entailment the whole order of charity. Um, uh, The order of charity, you could say, is the hierarchy of obligations to love that bind human beings, To speak of an order of charity implies that we don't have the same duties to everyone, but that we have different duties unique to different people and different ends. Of course, the highest of these is the duty to love God, but the others derive from these and are no less obligatory. Now, once one knows that, reasoning out the order of charity, figuring out what it entails in specific Requires some reflection, right? Requires us to think about who our neighbor might be and how we might determine who is close to us. That Latin word proximus, by the way. Um, uh, do you guys all read Latin? That, can I can I assume that in a in a, in a bunch of thomas? What's that, say? What's that, Zach? Uh, no. You don't read that? Anyway, you should all, you should all learn Latin. Um, uh, 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 proximus just means, um, I guess I don't have to wave at the camera. Uh, uh, hi, thank, thank you, Caleb. Um, what am I talking about? Latin, okay. Uh, proximus, right, uh, uh, just refers to the person who's nearby or close to us, right? Uh, uh, I mean, it, it can mean next in, in, in some cases, right? Just the next person over. Would be the one who's close to us. Now that doesn't seem by itself who's standing. I mean, I guess who's standing near us has some consequence for what our obligations are, but it's not all that Thomas has in mind by it. It's not the primary thing he has in mind on it. In mind by it, it's not even something that he mentions. Right? For Thomas, that nearness to human beings has a kind of what it means to be a neighbor. In other words, uh, has has a, 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 he begins to explain that at least. Um by speaking about the fact that the that other human beings, as we are, are made in god's image, and like us, they have the capacity for glory that is the capacity to attain eternal happiness in that way, the first obligation of charity extends to all human beings in so far as all human beings have that neighborliness that 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 capacity in common with us. But not all of our obligations to other human beings are the same and not all of them are equal. For that term neighbor has implications beyond the broad similarity that that applies to human beings as such. There are other senses, in other words, of the word close that are also important in disentangling or in recognizing Uh, What the order of charity is, right? Um, Okay, and I'm now going to talk, so in in trying to explain this, I'm now going to try to trace out especially the line of reflection that Thomas develops. This is in uh, uh, Question 26, Articles 6 through 11. This is where Thomas turns specifically to the question of what our duties to our family members are. Are, right um, uh, they will have it turns out a very special status as neighbors there are very specific duties that we have toward members of our families Thomas opens this sequence of questions right so this is 6 to 11 again if you're uh, 26 6 to 11 order of charity Thomas opens this sequence by recapitulating his basic teaching on the status of nature. Are obligations that exist by nature. Father Ephraim and, and Professor Osborne have both spoken about this as an important theme in Thomas's treatment of charity. I will too. Right? I mean, it seems it's like it's 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 so central to the issue that, that you couldn't do justice to the question um, if you didn't look at it. The question that he raises to begin with is whether one ought to love any neighbor more than another. After all, one might think that the differences between human beings should be completely abolished when taken from a view, point of view of divine love. As Thomas suggests in one of the objections, in charity, we love, this is, so this is not him in his own voice, but this is him speaking in the voice of one of the objectors. Uh, in charity, we love every human being on account of God and therefore we have the same reason for loving them all. Would it not follow from that, that we should love them all in the same way? But this, Thomas insists, is not reasonable. We have specific duties to some, and from those specific duties, it also follows that we should feel an affection for some people that is stronger than the affection that we feel for others. Let me read now the relevant passage, right? Um, so again, about this question of whether we should love some more than others, Thomas writes, there have been two opinions on this question. I always find it interesting in the Summa, by the way, when Thomas takes the time to state an opinion that he disagrees with. It doesn't happen in every question, right? But it always, I think, spotlights that there's something important to think about when he goes, when he takes the trouble of stating the, the contrary view, not just in an objection, but in the, in the response, right? In, in, in the body of the answer. So he writes, there have been two opinions on this question. For some have said we ought out of charity to love all our neighbors equally as regards our affection, but not as regards outward effect. They held that the order of love is to be understood as applying to outward favors, which we ought to confer on those who are connected with us in preference to those who are unconnected and not to inward affection, which ought to be given equally to all, including our enemies. In other words, right, Thomas is saying that the opinion with which Thomas disagrees is the opinion that we have different duties to some, right? So they accept that there are certain duties to individuals that bind us, but that in terms of inward affection, the feeling of love for our fellow human beings, everyone should be equal in our hearts. Thomas denies this. right? Thomas argues against that. And here I think his response is instructive. I'm going to read out again what he says. But he says, this is unreasonable. For the affection of charity, which is the inclination of grace, is not less orderly than the natural appetite, which is the inclination of nature. For both inclinations flow from divine wisdom. Now, we observe in the physical order that the natural inclination in each thing is proportionate to the actor movement that is becoming to the nature of that thing. Thus, in earth, the inclination of gravity is greater than in water, because it is becoming to earth to be beneath water. We talked about this before. Um, uh, consequently, the inclination also of grace, which is the effect of charity, must needs be proportionate to those actions which have to be performed outwardly, so that to wit the affection of our charity be more intense, must be more intense towards those to whom we ought to be more greatly beneficent." Right? So Thomas appeals at the beginning of this to the order of nature. Right. Um, uh in fact, in this context, he recapitulates that famous remark he's, that famous remark he, he has that nature is perfected by grace, right? Both nature and grace are products of divine wisdom. Nature suggests that those toward whom we have greater duties are also those toward whom we feel the most affection, as it were. That nature, right that fact about our nature, Uh, retains its importance even in light of the perfection uh, to which charity ultimately aspires, right, or or to which it ultimately reaches. Um, To put it more simply, nature too is a product of divine wisdom, just as grace is, uh, and so nature too must be given its due, right? Because our nature confers obligations on us, Uh, confers obligations on us, and because it is not simply abolished, we must understand the order of charity uh, in light of those obligations. And it's with this in mind that we can finally come to the issue that's my assigned topic for the day, um, which is the question of family. So this is the last part of the talk, right? Now, for Thomas, the family has a special status. I think that's not something never heard before. Um, Among the basic inclinations that belong to the natural law is the inclination to preserve and perpetuate the species. Our inborn attachments to members of our family are not just arbitrary, they are rather manifestations of a divine plan, right? Um, uh, our, 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 Our nature, right, is something that God created and God created understanding it to be Good, right, and that's that's important as well. Um, for Thomas, this means that we have especially strong duties to members of our family, right? Um, the basic thought that he has is, I think, a uh, uh, very simple but very powerful, right? Um, the friendship we have with those who are related to us by blood. Uh, By blood is the usual translation. Uh, uh, In Latin, it's uh, uh, those who are related to us by carnal origin, right? So those who have the same, whose flesh, right? Those who somehow have the same flesh as us. uh, Those are more stable and more natural than other obligations to human beings, including those based on virtue, which would be the great alternative, right? Um, So by nature, he says, he kind of uses that term repeatedly, by nature we have unique obligations to other members of our family, right? Our connection through the flesh means that we are bound up with them in a way that we're not bound up with people, even very great people, right? Uh, even, Even great friends and people who are very good for whom we might feel deep affection. More than that, though, for Thomas, the family is not just a kind of collection of Similar individuals or identical individuals who happen to be bound by ties of blood. Um, to put that more specifically, uh, 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 the family is not equal, right? Not all members of the family are equal. There are rather different obligations and different duties, you know, different different natures and different duties that go with each member, each each important relationship in our family, right? Um, Thomas mentions. Three of these, right? Now it's going to be between a, a, a parents and children, mother, how you should feel about your mother as opposed to your father, and how you should feel about your wife uh, in, in contrast to your parents. Um, he gives an order to these, right? Trying to trace out the unique set of obligations and duties that we have to each of those parties. The basic distinction that underlies that order, right? The basic distinction he makes which lets him shape the way that he describes that order, is the distinction between the good of the object loved and the quality of the lover, or the feeling of affection on the part of the lover. Right? So the issue is, so again, he's trying to kind of sketch out how families should be, how you should feel different obligations within your family, and there are two standards that he looks at. And these two standards don't always line up perfectly. The first standard has to do with the goodness of the thing that's loved. The second has to do with the intensity of the feeling right, um, that's experienced on the part of the one who loves, right, the one who feels love for their parents or children. Right? Um, he makes use of both of those and points out that they don't always match. Let me lay this out quickly in each of the three cases that Thomas describes. Um, so, the first question is whether fathers should love children more or children should love fathers more, right? Thomas says that, in one way, according to that first standard, the standard of the good, right, children should love their fathers more because they're better. They're better because they're the principles of the children, the sources of their being, you could say. On the other hand, he acknowledges parents may love their children more out of closeness, right? Um, parents view their children as part of them in a way that children don't see their parents as part of them. Uh, parents know better, Thomas puts this a little, well, this isn't so dark. Um, uh, <laughs> what are you laughing at? Uh, parents know better that their children are, I guess, especially mothers, um, parents know better that their children are theirs than, than, than children are sure that their parents are theirs, you know, because you can't remember when you were, you, you can't remember back when you were born. Um, parents get to spend more time with their children, right because children have some aging to do before they become aware and they 're even very immature for a rather long time. Um, the consequence of this, Thomas says, is that parents are especially due honor right it 's the principle that goes with the good you know? uh, and children are especially due care right i 'm um, just, just just taking care of their physical needs. Right? Um, but there's a distinction and a hierarchy there, right? It's not, it's not that everyone's equal. The second one he draws out um, is whether one should love one's mother more or one's father. Um, Thomas does say that, that one ought to love one's father more because the father is more the principle of one's being, it does it seems to me uh rest on some biology that is is now not uh up, up to date <laughs> um, uh, 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 but it's it, it is what he says uh I just want to note this because he also makes at least a partial exception um not an exception, but he 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 casts the rule this way. Other things being equal, that's my quote, not his, but other things being equal, one should love one's father more than one's mother, but it may very well be the case that one has a rather vicious father and a very virtuous mother, in which case that would be reversed, right? This is just one, the, 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 the fact that the father is the principle of your being in a biological way is, is, just a, is, is one factor that must be considered among many. Last relationship he considers within the family is uh, whether one should love one's wife more or one's parents. Um, parents, he says, ought to be loved more out of their goodness, right? They're the ones who are responsible for your being, and so there's a, a specific duty to them. Um, your wife, on the other hand, is someone for whom you may feel more affection out of closeness, right? You become, you, you share physically uh, uh, more than more than you do with your parents. Um, yeah, Um, Okay. In all of these ways, as it seems to me, Thomas wants to retain the naturalness of family relations as following from a certain kind of biological and and not narrowly biological, but broadly biological logic. Our bodies place us into relationships with different people, Our development as human beings determines the nature of those relationships and the hierarchy of obligations follows accordingly. He allows that these things must sometimes give way to simple considerations of goodness like the vicious father and the virtuous mother, Um, but this basic biological nature has a certain and important and natural claim on our affections as well. Now I said before, uh, kind of incidentally, and I, I acknowledge that some of this is based on science, which is out of date, uh, especially when it comes to the role of men and women. But it seems to me that even if that's so, Thomas's teaching on this doesn't need to be entirely thrown out or or, or recast, right? Um, even in the nature that we know now, right? I think Thomas would say that we can see within that a certain divine ordering, right? That attachments by blood, attachments by genetics, uh, we would now say genetics, right? But attachments by just the the connections that we form through our body uh, are still an important and revealing part of who we are. Uh, His notion of family in that way, right? Reflects an order of human affections that's not based just on consent or choice, but on inclinations and duties planted in us by nature. Right? Um, I think it's an important corrective in some ways to certain modern notions of the family as proceeding from nothing but free affection. Thomas would say that's not quite right. Right? In fact, your it's not the only thing that's important. But your your biology, the fact of your, your the, the, the the facts about you as a natural and embodied creature have important consequences for what your duties to other human beings are. Right? Now all of that said, this is where I'm gonna wind up, as important as this is, and as important as our affections to, our mem- to, to members of our family are, um, all of it ultimately gives way to what for Thomas is the highest kind of love. As Thomas says at the end of his treatment of the order of charity, uh, in heaven, in the afterlife, the order of charity is wholly retained only with respect to God and not with respect to everyone else, right? So the order of charity, you could say, is somehow implied in that first priest, in that basic precept love God with all your heart and soul and might, and um, love your neighbor as yourself. It's clearer in heaven, right? That God is the one, that the obligation to God and, and God is the peak of the order of charity remains complete. It's, it's only, um, let me rephrase, uh, uh, in heaven only that retains its complete uh, weight. Thomas does allow some room for those human affections. He writes, this is from that last, this is from uh, Article 13 in that question on the order of charity. He says, it will, however, be possible in heaven for a man to love in several ways, one who is connected with him, since the causes of virtuous love will not be banished from the the mind of the blessed, yet all these reasons are incomparably surpassed by that which is taken from Ninus to God. So again, as I tried to suggest about his biography um, and I tried to suggest about his life for Thomas, Obligations to our family um, are deeply rooted in our nature, retain a deeply important place, but ultimately must give way to the deepest obligation which makes possible the finest kind of happiness, uh, the perfect happiness of which human beings are capable. Thank you.